It is our prayer that we would be changed, that we would be transformed by God's power, and we are so thankful that He would even think of using us within His kingdom. As we come this morning and we get started, we are again returning to the least likely, that thought that God would call the least likely from among us to serve Him, to serve His kingdom, and to further advance His kingdom within this world. As we come today, we understand we live in the context, in the culture that says that you need the best people in the, in, in, on your team in order to be winners. We understand that as we look at college sports, uh, we see the need to recruit very well so that you might have a winning team. And I might say Georgia Tech did an awfully good job yesterday. We, <laughs> that's right. They weren't playing anybody. But as we come... We see that not only in sports, but also in, not only in athletics, but also in business. We see that across the pale of the spectrum, that if we want to be successful, we need good people, the right people on our team. And we understand by our culture that indeed, if we have the right people at the right place at the right time, common wisdom within the midst of this world is everything will go well. We'll have a good team. We'll be successful. But last week we began our series by seeing that God doesn't always just pick those who are notable among the wisdom of this world. That God often chooses the least likely by the world standards to accomplish great and mighty things by His grace to advance His kingdom. In fact, last week we saw that He would call a shepherd boy from the hills around Bethlehem out to be His servant, His king, to lead His people. We saw that that young shepherd boy had a heart, had a life that was useful to God, that indeed he had a heart of dependence upon God, a heart of obedience to God, a heart filled with servanthood, a heart filled with integrity. We said if we want to be useful in the master's kingdom, if we want to be useful vessels to work in advancing his kingdom and fulfilling the purposes he has for you and for I, then we too need to have hearts that are dependent upon him, hearts that are obedient to him, hearts that are filled with servanthood, hearts that are each at each and every point along the way filled with integrity. And this week we come to the New Testament and we look as as Jesus calls out his disciples, calls out those who would be closest and dearest to him during his walk here upon this earth. We see him call out those that you and I might not necessarily have chosen. Indeed, he is choosing those who will advance his kingdom. But understand, he's not doing it according to the wisdom of the world. For the wisdom of the world would say, hey, you know what? You need skilled speakers. You need money moguls. You need powerful politicians to advance your kingdom, God. But notice where Jesus turns to find those who would carry his kingdom in the midst of this world. He turns to fishermen. Some ordinary fishermen on the seashores of the Sea of Galilee. God chooses to use these ordinary men according to His powerful grace so that the wisdom of this world might be exchanged to see that indeed it is not our value that makes us useful to God. It is God's power that is able to make us useful to God. As we come and we see this, we understand that God often uses the ordinary 
to do the ordinary people of this world to do extraordinary things so that he might get the glory. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verses 27 through 31 or 26 through 31, we see that the word of God says this, for consider your calling brothers that there were not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise and God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong and the base things of the world and the despised God has chosen the the things that are not so that he may nullify the things that are so that no man may boast before God and it says in verse 31 let him who boasts boast in what in the Lord because it's him who is working through us And so as we begin today, I want you to understand that God is in the business of using ordinary men and women, much like myself, much like you, to do extraordinary things within the midst of this world. And as we come today, I just want you to take a moment and imagine that you are there in your office, at your desk. I want you to imagine just for a second, you're at your place of employment. And I want you to imagine you're pushing papers across the desk. You're pounding something out on the keyboard. You're talking on the telephone perhaps you're turning wrenches on the flight line perhaps you're sitting there talking to someone around the world to share with them and talk to them and advance your business wherever you are and whatever you do in your employment i want you to imagine that you're there doing it flipping hamburgers ringing them up at the counter then all of a sudden, a man enters your place of employment and he walks. He walks with purpose. And then all of a sudden, you notice that this man who has come in your business is standing there and he's looking at you. He peers, but he doesn't just look at you. It's almost as if he's looking into your soul. And all of a sudden, with a start, he comes towards you. He walks and moves towards you with purpose. He looks and sets his eyes, sets his gaze on you. And he looks and says, come. Follow me. In that moment, our hearts pound a million miles a minute. Our stomachs turn within us. Immediately, we are faced with a question. And that question is, what am I going to do? We've got all kinds of questions. Who is this man? Where did he come from? What does he do? How in the world? What, what's going to be given for compensation? How am I going to make it? Is it worth it? Should I go after this man? What am I going to do? This is the situation which comes to four fishermen on the sea, on the shores of the Sea of Galilee. This is the situation which comes to these men, for they are confronted with the call of Almighty God, with King Jesus Himself, to come and to follow Me. As we turn this morning, we're going to see this call to these four fishermen was a radical call, but the question must be, was it worth it? Was it worth it for them to sacrifice everything, to lay down everything, and to pursue Jesus Christ in every way? question for you and I today. Is it worth it for us to give up everything, to sacrifice everything, and to pursue Jesus Christ so that our lives might be useful in His kingdom? See, Jesus came to the least likely. Four fishermen. And He simply said, follow me. And I'm going to transform your lives from fishermen to fishers of men. Now come 
and go with me. Father, we ask this morning that you would lead us and guide us in this time. Father, that you would direct us in the study of your word. And Father, that you would give wisdom to see it, to know it, to understand it. And Father, to live it out in the midst of our days. Lord, give us a passion to follow you. Father, at every moment, let nothing entangle us or hold us back. But let us walk according to your word, by your grace, and for your glory. We pray that you would bless, Father, this time together. Bless us as we study your word. In Jesus' name, we ask these things. Father, we finally ask this morning that you would speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. Speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand in honor of the reading of this God's word. And this is what it says in Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 and following. Now as Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called them. Immediately, they left the boat and their father and followed him. They left their boat and their father and followed him. Let's be seated. Here within God's word, we see the fact that Jesus Christ is the king of an eternal kingdom. He has come into this world and he is existing in human flesh. He is walking among men. He is making, uh, making his course through journey through uh, the course of human history. And he is expanding his kingdom even within this time. And as the king of an eternal kingdom, Jesus comes into contact with ordinary men and women like you and like me. And he extends a call for them to come and to join his kingdom. And we see in this passage today that Jesus issues a clear call for people to join his kingdom. He expects for those people to make a clear choice regarding his kingdom. And he changes the course of the people that follow him. We see that this is the pattern that is played out. Jesus, the king of an eternal kingdom, comes into contact with human beings, with men and women, and he reaches out to them. He calls them to come and to follow him, to join his eternal kingdom. And he, when he issues that clear call, he expects for a clear choice to be made and ultimately for that clear choice to change the direction of the life to whom, of the one to whom he is speaking. We come today, we see God, Christ moving these ordinary fishermen into the extraordinary task of becoming fishers of men. And as we come, we want to challenge ourselves. Where is it that God wants me to serve? What is it that God wants me to do? Have I heard his call to lay down everything in my life? Have I responded by making a clear choice to side and to go with Jesus Christ and not with this world? Have I seen a change? 
change, of course, in the midst of my life. Well, let us begin this morning by looking at this passage and seeing that Jesus issues a clear call for people to join his kingdom. In verses 18 and 19, he's walking along the Sea of Galilee, and, and as he is doing so, he sees four, uh, four men, two sets of brothers there on the, shore, on the seashore who are fishermen. They're just ordinary men, but as he's walking along, he notices these men, and he reaches out to them. He, he calls them out. One of the sets of brothers is casting a net into the sea. The other set of brothers are mending nets on the midst of the shore. But all of these men are busy. They're working. They're not just sitting back and letting things go. They are working hard. Jesus comes by and looks at these men. Now, according to John chapter 1, we know at least Andrew and Simon, who is called Peter, we know at least they had met Jesus before. They had heard Jesus before when he was across the Jordan, when they were with John the Baptist. So this wasn't the first time that they had interacted with Jesus. In fact, Andrew and Peter both have said that indeed this is the Messiah. They've believed in him. They understand who he is and what he is doing. But notice that once they saw him, they received him and they went back and got busy and they were still working. They were still on the seashore. They were still cast netting fish. They were still mending their nets and working hard at the life that they had. And understand fishing was a worthy life. It was a great life. It was a very good life for them to live in. See, from fishing... They got fresh food for their families. They not only got fresh food for their families, but the excess fish they were able to then turn and sell off so that they could buy other things that they needed. Perhaps even these men had great opportunities stretched out before him, before them. Perhaps they were thinking, oh, well, if we get a little bit better at this, if we catch a few more fish, maybe we can buy another boat, maybe a fleet of boats. There was great opportunity in being a fisherman in this day. And so it's not like they, they were poor, they were out of, you know, out away from everything and everything was falling apart and now they had to go to Jesus to find something to do. No, these men were working. They were working diligently. They were serving exactly where they were supposed to be. But then Jesus comes by and he simply speaks. In the Greek, it's one word, duto. Duto. Come, follow me. Imagine for a second that we're not on the seashores of Galilee, but we're in your workplace like we were talking about just a moment ago. Imagine this man, this rear, the, the, this, uh, this seemingly obscure religious leader who had been across the Jordan with John the Baptist. Oh, by the way, John the Baptist gets uh, arrested and now he is moving out of that area and coming back to Capernaum. And to the Sea of Galilee. Imagine this obscure religious leader comes along to your workplace, to your workstation, and there the Messiah looks at you and says, you know what? You need to give up your livelihood. You need to lay down everything that you have. You need to leave these nets behind and you need to come with me. You need to forsake an earthly life for God's greatest gift of eternal life and service in advancing his kingdom. 
In that moment, those, those men were presented with a major decision, uh, a major decision of whether they would continue to live an order, ordinary life as fishermen or whether they were going to be willing to trade their lives for an extraordinary life of service to the King, King Jesus. Each and every one of us have that transaction in our lives. We must come to that point where we face that same question, where we face that same call. For the call was to get up and to follow Jesus so that you might have a new way of life. What was the new way of life? Well, you're no longer just going to be fishermen. You are going to be fishers of men. Well, we have a problem there, Jesus. See, we're used to getting out in the sea and we take those nets and we throw them out in the sea and it traps the fish. But the fish are pretty healthy. They can't do anything. Jesus, what in the world are you talking about? Are we going to go down to the marketplace today, climb up on the buildings and take our cast nets and throw them over the people in the market? What if those people get angry? What if they start fighting? What if they have swords and cut their way out and come after us, Jesus? Doesn't sound like a good plan. Fishermen to fishers of men? But understand this. What he was saying is, listen, you are going to be useful in the expansion and advancement of my kingdom. For several centuries, the Roman and Greek cultures had had thought of this term of fishers of men as advancing a philosophy of life in the midst of the culture. And so what Jesus is saying, follow me and I'm going to make you, I'm going to teach you what you need to know so that you might be fishers of men, so that you might teach men how to be saved and how to live for the glory of God. Indeed, his goal in calling those fishermen that day and his goal in calling the ordinary men and women of our day is the same for his glory to advance in our lives and in the midst of this world. From the beginning of time, isn't it amazing? God has always used those who seem to be ordinary, those who seem not to possess very much according to the wealth of this world. But he, God has chosen consistently to use ordinary people to accomplish his will. Just think back and trace back with me the story of redemption that we find in the Bible. Think back to Joseph. Joseph is a man in the midst of a foreign country sold into slavery by his brothers who who has now ended up in the midst of a prison. Can't you just imagine imagine Joseph there on that day saying, well, God, I'm in prison. How in the world are you going to use me now? I know the dreams you gave to me. How are you going to use me? What about Moses on the backside of the wilderness when, it, when God comes to him and says, Moses, I want you to go back and be my spokesman to Pharaoh, I want you to go back and be my spokesman to my children who are in the midst of Egypt. Moses, I want you to speak for me. And Joseph, or Moses looks at him and says, but, 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 but God, God, I stutter. I can't even get a sentence out. We'll put a Mel Tillis to it and sing it. Whatever it takes, Moses. But you're my man. You're the one I'm going to use. Can't you just imagine David on that day when he is facing Goliath? Can't you just imagine David as he goes out onto that field of battle and he puts on all of the armor that that King Saul has given him to protect him? And David gets in it and he goes, but I can't even walk. I can't even move. See, our sovereign God who has created us and formed us 
and plan for us to be useful vessels in his kingdom. Our sovereign God is even sovereign over our circumstances and our situations. And here in this passage, he has four fishermen aren't very educated, aren't well learned, aren't very spokesmanlike, and yet these men give their lives to obeying the call, come, follow me. See, Jesus issued a clear call for people to join his eternal kingdom and and to serve in the advancement of that kingdom. And still today, he is issuing that same clear call for every man, woman, boy and girl, every person that has sin in their life who thinks that they're just ordinary, thinks that they're written off by God, thinks that they can be of no value and no service to the living God. He is still reaching out. He is still crying out. He is still calling out. Come, follow me. Today, He is calling to us. Come and follow Him. But not only do we see Jesus issuing a clear call, but we also see that Jesus expects a clear choice from, the, from people regarding His kingdom. He wants a clear choice to be made when He calls. Indeed, notice here the, the clear choice for these men. The details aren't given. They don't have a blueprint mapped out. They don't have all the details. They haven't worked through the compensation packages, the 401Ks. They haven't worked out the details of their insurance or their retirement plans. They don't have all the details in order. And notice, none of them ask, Jesus, how are we going to survive tomorrow, do they? Are those the questions of our life? Aren't those the questions that we ask? We tend to ask, what are the details? God, I tell you what, I understand you're calling me to do something, but I want you to show me the blueprint and the map of where we're going before I get on board and go with you. That's not what happens in this passage. See, the call would cost them their position, their status within this earthly kingdom. They would have to give up their solid and steady standard of earthly living and trade it in for uncertainty, for even the possibility of being ostracized within their community. For James and John, they actually had to make a real choice. Look Look there in verse 21 and see how it describes that call when Jesus calls them to follow Him. Where are they? They are in the boat. And they are in the boat with who? Let's try that again. Interaction. With their father. They're in the boat. And they're in the boat with their father. This is a clear choice. Do I walk away from the earthly family for an eternal family? Or do I stay here and sit still and do nothing? For James and John, they had that decision. Parents, I want you to see Zebedee didn't try to rope him in, rope them into staying, did he? Just a word of exhortation. We need young men and women who are passionate, who are zealous for the gospel of Jesus Christ, who want to go to the mission field, who want to go to the hard places of this world and make a difference for the glory of God. We need young men and women who will dedicate and devote themselves to going to the ends of the earth and expanding the gospel kingdom anywhere and everywhere God might call them to go. But we also need parents who are standing behind them, supporting them, praying for them, setting them free to go and to serve our great King and our great Savior. Well, I want my kids to grow up and be a doctor. And I want them to have a nice house with a picket fence and a shaggy dog and 2.5 kids, you know, two cars in the garage, all that jazz. Listen, God wants more. 
And the choice is a choice between this earthly world and his eternal kingdom. This was a costly decision. They were pressed to count the cost in order to follow Jesus. I'll never forget being in engineering school. And I had a dear friend uh, throughout engineering school who was from Tanzania. He was raised in the Muslim faith. He, all he had ever known from the time he was born was the teachings of Islam. And in the midst of college, God led he and I into the same college, into the same classes. And we began to share and to talk. And I began to witness to him and share with him about the Bible. I began to share with him about this man named Jesus Christ. I began to share with him the hope of salvation, not by works, but according to the grace of God in the midst of his life. He could touch it, he could see it, and he could understand it. As I lived out and talked with him day after day, there was one particular night where he seemed especially soft, especially receptive to the gospel. And as we uh, were sitting there talking, I simply looked at him and said, Rahim, do you want to to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord, as your Savior. He looked at me. He said, Todd, I believe everything that you say about Jesus. I believe everything you say about the Word of God. And I believe everything you have said about salvation. But Todd, it would cost me everything if I became a Christian. I couldn't go back home. I couldn't go back to my family. I couldn't go back and see my mother or my father. If I become a Christian, I am giving up and having to cut off everything. And we looked and read Luke chapter 9, verses 57 through 62. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, The foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And he said to another, Follow me. But he said, Lord, permit me first to go and bury my father. But he said to him, Allow the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim everywhere the kingdom of God. Another also said, I will follow you, Lord. But first permit me to say goodbye to those at home. But Jesus said to him, No one after putting his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. Raheem, it's going to cost you everything. You are exactly right. But it's worth it. It's worth it to give up this earthly world. It's worth it to give up the, the, the comfort and the, the conveniences of this earthly world. It's worth it to give up the things that we, that we desire most within this world. Because listen, eternal life with Jesus Christ, peace with God is worth everything this world has to offer. In fact, Jesus and His promise of salvation from sin and eternal life for the believer indeed is worth the sacrifice of everything that we could ever be offered by this world. Let me ask you this morning, do you believe that? Are you willing to leave it all behind and follow Him? Because it's going to demand a clear choice. It's going to demand for you and I to make a clear change in the midst of the structure and order of our lives. In 1 Kings chapter 19, we see one of the great stories of the Bible unfold of someone who is giving their heart, their life, and leaving behind the plow, taking their hand off the plow to pursue the expansion of God's kingdom. Elisha, through the prophet Elisha, is called of God to be the next prophet. And Elisha was faced in 
instantaneously as Elijah came striding across that field that day and he took his mantle, the sign, the symbol that he was a prophet of God. He took it off of his shoulders. He walks past Elisha and he throws it over Elisha's shoulders. And in that moment, the message is clear. The man of God who has been the voice of God to the people of God is now passing his mantle to you, Elisha. Get up, leave your place, uh, your place that you have grown up and go and be God's voice to his people. He's faced with a choice. He can either continue to sow seeds in the soils of the land of Israel or he can begin to sow, sow spiritual seeds in the soil of the souls of Israel. You and I have that same choice before us today. Will we be willing to leave behind everything so that we can pursue obeying and advancing God's kingdom, worshiping Him in spirit and in truth, and sharing the gospel with all those around us? Listen to me and listen to me well. Elisha left that field that day. He went back home and he burned his uh, his uh, his a plow and the implements that he was using that day in the midst of the field. He made a big bonfire. And on that bonfire, he sacrificed, he killed those oxen that he was using. And he boiled them up, symbolizing, showing that he was done with the past. He had taken his hand off the plow. And now he had set his, his hand to the plow of the living God to advance his kingdom. He was willing to give up everything. Let me ask you, are you? Are you and I willing to give up everything? Luke 9.23 says, Deny anyone who desires to come after me must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. When Christ calls us, we have to choose whether or not to continue on on the path of our old life or to follow God in the midst of a new course. Forgiveness of sin and eternal life in Christ indeed is better than anything this world could ever offer. And the choice today is the choice to continue to live like I want to live or to live like God wants me to live. To, To live for my hopes and dreams and purposes and desires or to live for him and for him alone indeed jesus challenges these men he challenges them to make a choice to make a change and i want you to see thirdly and finally this morning that jesus changes the course of these these men's life the lives of those who follow Jesus will be changed and they will be changed forever. Notice what it says, first of all, there in, in uh, verse four, ver, or, or chapter 4, verse 20. Immediately, they left their nets and followed him. What's the first word in that passage? In that verse? Immediately. Notice again in verse 22. Immediately, they left the boat and their follow, father and followed him. What's the first word in that passage? Immediately, immediately they get out, they get out of the boat and they go after after Jesus. There was an urgency to do what Jesus had called them to do. Indeed, they were living in the midst of grace, grace that had flowed into their lives so that they might be forgiven of their sin. Great love that, that poured into their lives and provided peace even in the midst of difficulty. They were living in Jesus Christ's provision as he flooded their lives and filled all of their daily needs. Listen, they weren't hesitating one bit they immediately picked up and went after him and here's what we must see and must understand there was nothing that was going to entangle them or trip them up from following our 
after God. We must say that there would be nothing that would entangle us to keep us from following hard after God. These men got up and immediately they answered Jesus' call at all costs without any hesitation, without any question. Not show me where we're going to go and I'll make a decision if I want to go there or not. Not show me what the plans are, what the blueprints are, and what your kingdom advancement looks like. I want all the details before and all the data before I make a decision. It was simply Jesus called and they got up and they followed Him. Indeed, we ought to be people who prayers are reflective saying simply Lord help me to be this faithful Lord help me to be this willing is that your prayer on a daily basis Lord show me where you're working show me how I can be involved and show me how to follow hard after you Lord teach me not to love anything of this world so great that it causes me to be entangled from pursuing you and your kingdom. Lord, simply let me follow you. These men picked up and immediately they left. Verses 23 through 25, we see a little touch of what they will see over the next three years of their life. For indeed, as Jesus continued, he goes throughout Galilee, teaching in the synagogue, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness among the people. The news is spreading throughout all of Syria, and they brought to him all who were ill, those suffering with various diseases and pains, demoniacs, epileptics, paralytics, and he healed them largely crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis and Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. All of these people were beginning to come and to coerce around Jesus. They walked with Jesus. These four ordinary fishermen walked with Jesus, follow him and he begins to make them fishers of men. Over the next three years they see indeed these majestic, these merciful ministries, these majestic and mighty healings. They see his powerful preaching they even in the end see the death of a cruel cross at the hill of Golgotha and in that moment can't you just imagine their hearts sank just a little bit we we sacrificed everything we gave everything to follow him and then on the third day they not only had seen the death of a cruel cross there at Golgotha. But now they saw the blessed resurrection where Jesus Himself got up from the grave, rose again in glorious victory over sin, death, and hell. And now they are given the task of going into the ends of the earth and sharing this gospel with everyone. Four ordinary fishermen who are now transformed into fishers of men and sent to the ends of the earth to tell everyone about this man, Jesus Christ, who has lived a perfect life, died in an atoning death, and risen again in victorious life and now is offering life full and free, eternal life to you and to me and to anyone who will come and follow Him. See, when we hear and accept God's call to follow Him, He changes us. He changes our direction. 
It's amazing. Two of these guys are actually talked about in Acts chapter 4, the Acts of the Apostles, as they are going to the ends of the earth, as they have been filled with the Holy Spirit and they are witnessing to others. There's actually a a, a statement about them in Acts 4.13. And there it says, Now, as they observed, they being the rulers and the overseers, the, the scribes and the Pharisees, all of these guys, the religious leaders of their day, have them on trial. They're asking them all these questions. And listen to what this passage says. Now, as they observed the confidence of Peter and John and understood that they were uneducated and untrained men, they were amazed and began to recognize they had been with Jesus. Isn't that a powerful statement, guys? Well, pastor, I'm not able to speak. Well, Pastor, I'm just not that good. I just don't have all the answers. I don't have everything I need. Listen, four ordinary men, four ordinary fishermen are set apart to become fishers of men. And they are set apart to follow Jesus Christ. And they walk with him for three years. And the scribes and the rulers and the Pharisees and the Sadducees are amazed by their wisdom. And they begin to understand How did these men become such powerful witnesses for the glory of God? These men became powerful witnesses because they had been with Jesus. You want to be a powerful witness at your place of work? You want to be a powerful witness in the midst of this world? Give your heart and your life to Jesus. Come and follow Him. Make use of His Word each and every day. Make use of a time of prayer where you can talk to Him and share with Him and ask Him to fill you up, to use you, and then to pour you out. Ask Jesus to take your ordinary life and to do extraordinary things for the cause of His great and glorious kingdom. Father, we ask now that you would take us. You would take us just as we are. Father, not that we are anything in and of ourselves, but we are, Father, simply ordinary men and women gathered here this morning to hear your word, to celebrate the story that in the midst of our ordinary lives, you are an extraordinary God who can take us, touch us, and transform us into your image, that you will be able to use our mouth, our lips, to praise you and to proclaim the glory of the gospel to the ends of the earth. And Lord, this morning as we come and we gather as ordinary men and women, we pray that you would take us just as we are. Father, by your grace, you would forgive us of our sins. You would clean us up, but you would change our course, Father, to be powerful witnesses for the work of your kingdom, for the advancement of your kingdom. Lord, we ask this morning that as we come to the end of our service and sing this closing hymn, just as I am, Lord, that we would come just as you are. Father, that you would pick us up and that you would use us, Father, greatly to advance your kingdom in this world. We pray these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together for our hymn of invitation.